I've learned that going down the road of, of, of innovation, uh, it, it can be uh, bumpy and pleasant, unpleasant uh, uh, a whole lot of time. But if you're traveling down that road uh, on the innovation road uh, with talented and pleasant people, uh, it's a journey that, that really is worth taking um, and because you can overcome things that have not been built before. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing awesome. How are you? I am fantastic. Woohoo! Woo! <laughs> it, it, it's actually been a while since we recorded an episode just based on travel and stuff. And I don't think I've said fantastic for a little while. So thanks for allowing me. Matt, I've missed it. <laughs> well, you know what? Thankfully, I can relive it whenever I want on my phone on any episode, at least the last 50, 60 or so. Pretty sure you, so. you haven't missed one yet. Yeah. yeah I can't yeah. remember when, like, I, I don't know what the origin point was of I, your catchphrase. I don't either. Is it a catchphrase? Can that be like a hashtag or what is it? Uh, it just depends on the amount of A's that you use. It would yeah. have to be consistent if it's going to be a hashtag. That's true. That's true. Um, well, I, I have a question for you be, besides, you know, when did I start saying fantastic? We'll put that one on the back burner. We'll, we'll do our research on that. We'll put that in the parking lot. Um, have we ever had two guests that we interviewed back to back that were working together on a project? To our knowledge, not that I know of until episodes 201, 202. That's right. That's right. So last week we spoke to Brian Yessian of Yessian Music about all kinds of different music and sound related type things and how he's working on his project in the Islands of Pigeon Forge. And today we get to talk to his counterpart for Dynamic Attractions, Guy Nelson. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you have not listened to episode 201 yet, it was so cool. It was so awesome. Make sure to check it out after this one. But in the meantime, Guy Nelson is the executive chairman and CEO of Dynamic Technologies. And we are going to talk everything about ride engineering, ride design, the evolution of technology from his time in the industry, uh, which is, I mean, he just has a, a wealth of knowledge of how ride designs and ride systems have come to where they are today. And then we even talk a little bit about where it might be going in the future and what people demand and expect from the types of experiences that we as an industry provide. What I think is really interesting is how he talks about working with engineers and, you know, how much he likes doing that and from a leadership standpoint. Um, but, you know, when you talk about what's not possible, what might be possible, um, he says things like dreams can be expensive, right? But that just means that you have to think about how you're going to make those dreams happen. And what he has kind of carved out a niche for in the industry is creating those iconic anchor attractions that people just flock to theme parks and attractions to experience. 
Mm-hmm. And, and total side note, small small tangent here. We were uh, recently decorating our our nursery for our for our son Jacob, who the day of his, this recording he's six months old. Woo-hoo! And you just reminded me of one of my favorite Walt Disney quotes, which we have printed out. Like we found it on on Etsy, this like beautiful like artistic version of it, and it's now on its wall. And it says, "It's kind of fun to do the impossible." And I think Guy really lives and breathes that mentality because we find out about iterating your way to success and collaborating with the uh, with the operators and the, the co-ventures and really being able to get to those amazing solutions. And like you said, you know, dynamic attractions, he said, you know, their goal is to be the iconic attractions in the park and the ones that really bring people to the parks as well. So obviously that is a a lofty goal, right? That's a tall order for, you know, for any uh, design firm. Uh, but I think that the way that, uh, that, and what we're going to hear from Guy and the way that they get to that point uh, is very effective and nothing short of inspiring for, uh, for our industry and for our audience. So not only do we want to hear in the coming years the impossible things that Jacob does and that he he uh, creates and overcomes and innovates, uh, but also I think we should get to this conversation with Guy Nelson. Let's do it. Hey, Guy, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. We are so excited to chat with you today. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Excellent. Pleased to be here. Pleased to be with you guys. We are pleased to have you here. So as we jump off into this, Guy, can you tell us just a, a quick overview? Tell us about yourself and a quick overview of your career. Sure. Um, well, I founded Dynamic Technologies in 2006, and I currently employ about 100 employees in the design and supply some iconic rides in the industry, in the theme park industry, uh, for the largest companies. And uh, it's been uh, a focus of mine since uh, 2006. Before that, I held a bunch of positions in uh, fabrication, manufacturing, leadership positions in, in um, construction uh, and transportation. Early in my career, I had a, a fair bit of time in M&A business and uh, the venture capital business. So it set me up pretty well to be doing what I'm doing today. I continue today to co-chair a company called Tornado Hydrovax, a company that I spin off to uh, dynamic shareholders back in 2016. Um, and uh, forming its own separate public company. Upon reflection, I'd probably say that my diverse leadership roles in a variety of industries, ranging from startups to roll-ups to rapidly growing companies is really what uh, has uh, differentiated my background. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that leadership? Because obviously there's a lot of leaders on the in the audience and any nuggets that you can take from that career, from all those different experiences that would, uh, would help people kind of navigate their own leadership journey? Well, you know, I'd say uh, you have to, uh, in all leadership, you really have, a, have to have a clear vision where you're going uh, because you'll never get there otherwise. <laughs> and um, so that's one thing that I would say is, is fundamentally important. I think the other observation in, in hindsight is that you really have to persevere. Uh, it's, it's one thing to have a great strategy, but it's another one to stick to it because you are going to inevitably have bumps and, and uh, uh, roadblocks and, and things that get in your way from getting to where you want to get to. So uh, perseverance, uh, stick-to-itness is, is a pretty uh, fundamentally important uh, character trait more almost than a leadership trait that you need to have. I don't know if that helps, but uh, those would be a couple of things that come to mind right off the bat. 
Yeah. And, and there are definitely some bumps in the road over the last uh, year, 15 months or so that I'm sure that uh, that we'll get to shortly. But before we do that, uh, can you expand a little bit on dynamic attractions, the type of attractions that you build, the type of clients that you serve and uh, just overall uh, what you do for the industry? Sure. Sure. Well, I created dynamic attractions in 2011 and it was a spinoff from uh, the ride manufacturing activities of dynamic structures, which had been in it uh, in the business for the prior 10 years. Um, in terms of employment, um, dynamic saw its salaried staff, manufacturing levels grow significantly from the 50 that we started with. Uh, and most of that growth was in engineering. I'd say over the past decade, we, decade, we saw our skilled trades uh, go down from 500 to about 50. And this is because we decided to outsource more of the commodity aspects of our fabric to third parties and to focus on self-performing just the most critical and complex parts. And that's what we kept in-house. So there's growth in engineering and a shrinking of our skilled trades where we relied on third parties. Mm -hmm. So Dynamic Attractions is a product line that we've developed over the past uh, uh, decade uh, has focused on media-based attractions and uh, really complex ride systems for some of the biggest companies in the industry. We tend to build fairly expensive things uh, uh, for our customers. So uh, the types of products that we build are, uh, I like to think uh, the most iconic ones in the park, right? And they draw people to the park. And that has been our uh, raison d'etre. That's why we uh, have uh, been in business and what we focused on. So, so you would yeah, so you would say that they're kind of the anchor attraction, right? The the thing that draws people in, draws them to a certain part of a facility or a park and, um, you know, helps them obviously expand and, and see other things, but this is kind of what draws people in. So I'm curious from that standpoint, as you talk about engineering that kind of experience, how do you, how do you engineer an iconic experience like that, knowing that you're starting from scratch, right? How do you, you know, it's, it's kind of like saying, I want to create a viral video. Well, you can't just create a viral video, right? So creating an iconic attraction before you have even, you know, a, a pen on paper to draw it out. What's the thought process that goes behind that? Well, there's, there's really two different um, market niches. One would be uh, where we drive that innovation uh, internally uh, with our, with our to our, our technical staff and creative staff. And then there's the, 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 the um, other uh, example, which would be where we partner or um, work with a client, right? That the client has a vision uh, that they want to, uh, uh, a guest experience that they'd like to uh, create. And we collaboratively work through that process together. So those two examples, um, and, and we participated actively in both, right? And uh, um, because quite often the biggest guys in the industries have pretty clear pictures of what it is they want to produce um, as an end result. They don't necessarily uh, understand how to get there. Um, and, and so they'll work. Uh, and they also know, I think over time, these companies, the big companies have, uh, have realized that um, it's not the type of things that's easily, easily tendered, right? It's, uh, um, you know, it's not a build a print. It, it, it really is uh, a, a lot more complicated than that. And so um, we've been active in both, uh, had lots of success with uh, working in collaboration with customers. In fact, my, uh, my board and I have uh, kind of written an unwritten rule of, of, of uh, preferring to do that type of business than doing it ourselves. Uh, it's um, doing it yourself. It's a lot riskier. It's um, um, 
you know, it, it, it always has to be customer focused, but uh, you know, the uh, we're one step removed from customers, right? We're a ride vendor. So um, the jump to doing it yourself and thinking that you have the answer for the guest experience that's going to resonate um, can have uh, challenges to it, but uh, we've been, we've done both and uh, successfully uh, created some of the most iconic rides in the industry and uh, are proud of that uh, effort. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what those collaborative meetings look like when talking about the guest experience and the vision from the operator and then weaving in your contribution to that and being able to help them maybe navigate that towards what's going to be the best solution and the best attraction that they're going to invest in? Yeah, well, one, of, one of the best examples I'd say has been when uh, on a collaborative basis when we're working with a customer where we, we work through the prototype uh, design together, right? And so that uh, clearly there's a clear picture of what it is uh, the guest experience should be and what we're trying to accomplish and the motion and the, and the throughput and a lot of the complexities of, of what you're trying to get to. Um, but um, prototyping together allows you to kind of uh, iterate, iterate your way to success and, um, uh, and, and, and get to that end result. Uh, sometimes you you know, you iterate your way out of a particular prototype and into another type of prototype uh, uh, through that iterative process. Um, so that, that I'd say is the, that's our preferred route, right? Because it's, uh, it's um, uh, it allows you to not shoulder all the burden of financial burden of taking that risk uh, yourself in the hope that, uh, that you get there and in the hope that the market likes what you got when you get there. Uh, and um, if the, you have a customer there, uh, the uh, correcting path with you, working with you to figure out the uh, what can be done, what 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 can't be done, uh, it's a it's a better uh, model. Guy, you just mentioned um, you know kind of looking at what can be done, what can't be done. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what can't be done? I mean, I think that we, we, we know what we have and we know what we see currently, but you know, part of your job is to innovate and even come up with new technology. So how do you quantify what you can't do if, if nobody's ever done it before? And then you say, well, what if we did this? I'm just curious about that kind of process. Yeah, the, um, well, it started, I don't know if you've ever managed engineers or if in fact you guys are even engineers in your background, but I've managed a whole lot of engineers in my career. A lot of talented ones, very talented ones. And, and, and there really isn't a concept out there that can't be engineered if you have enough time and money and persistence, right? So I've learned that going down the road of, of, of innovation, uh, it, it can be uh, bumpy and pleasant, unpleasant a, a whole lot of time. But if you're traveling down that road, uh, on the innovation road uh, with talented and pleasant people, uh, it's a journey that, that really is worth taking um, and because you can overcome things that have not been built before. We have a, a saying in dynamic structures, it's one of our, it's a, it is our motto, I should say one of our mottos, we only have one motto and that is anything you dream we can build. Um, it does, uh, that uh, I've often thought of adding uh, at a profit to that uh, tagline because <laughs> quite often, uh, dreams are expensive to to realize, uh, but um, but it is an interesting um, it, um, thing that drives the passion of our employees towards things that haven't been built before, and it probably goes back to 
you know, I don't know if you know or not, but in Dynamic Structures case, uh, a company that went back to 1926, I should say, in its, uh, when it was founded out in Vancouver, that company has built uh, and evolved over the years, but in, in the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s, we became um, very talented at building um, telescope enclosures on top of mountaintops. Uh, we built more than half the world's large telescopes that never been built before, right? So in, in our uh, DNA, we have this um, uh, ability and uh, drive towards doing things that haven't been done before and taking on challenges that uh, uh, most people, uh, well, in their right mind, maybe <laughs> uh, avoid taking, but uh, the end result uh, can be quite satisfying uh, when you do get there and when you build these uh, spectacular uh, facilities on top of mountaintops that allow us to see back into the, the, the almost the start of time. So it's, it's, a, it's a passion that we have in our company and it's evolved into dynamic attractions from dynamic structures. So so everything we do and touch and, and feel is, is it emanates from doing things other people haven't done. And um, I don't know, it's, uh, it's an unusual thing that, that uh, we've um, um, been able to accomplish over our, our fairly long history. So throughout your time in the business, uh, what would you say have been some of the most impactful changes or, you know, as you watch the evolution of attractions design and engineering uh, that you've seen have just made some of the biggest impact to the way that, you know, amusements or attractions and, and technology uh, really serve, serve the client, serve the guest? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll limit my comment here just to the 15 years I've been in this business, right? So I, I don't know what went before me uh, a whole lot. I haven't uh, um, really focused on that. But in the past 15 years, I would say probably the most impactful, one of the first most impactful things that I can uh, observe would be the popularity of media-based attractions. And so in the evolution of dark rides, right? So it really took off with the first Harry Potter uh, forbidden journey in, in Islands of Adventure. And uh, that just opened everybody's eyes to a, 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 a new genre of ride system, right? And our company's focused on being leaders in that market niche. Like we really have zeroed in on that um, from that point forward, right? I, I'd say the second thing that in observation would be that um, the use of software to control the motion of coasters and track ride vehicles and and theaters, uh, this has been a rapidly growing market niche as well. And, and our company's built up a controls group to develop proprietary ride control systems that have never been done before. And so those two things, if they're things, uh, uh, have been the most impactful um, changes that I've seen in the past 15 years. So Guy, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but think ahead 15 years, wh what are we going to see or, you know, what kind of new forbidden journeys are we going to, are we going to have out there? Yeah, that's a tough one to, 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 to say, because the, um, there's, um, uh, the, the ride system in, uh, that, that Universal's opening up has opened up and kind of will open up again in, in Japan and Osaka is an augmented reality ride system where, uh, where, uh, where the guests will, uh, um, like they did with the Harry Potter ride systems, uh, continue to, to really be immersed in the experience of that uh, IP, right? 
that story, that pre-story that they came to the park already well-versed in, right? And so I think taking guests to another level, right, of, uh, uh, of immersive experience is what you're going to see a lot more of in the next 15, 20 years. And, um, you know, and the, the motion bases that are needed to move people through spaces and time and, and experience uh, will be, you know, uh, uh, what we have to, as a company, uh, continue to strive to deliver on, right? And uh, so I think that that's probably an area that you're going to see a lot more um, um, new uh, attractions uh, come to market with, right? Where you're leveraging an IP, an existing IP, that there's already a pre-story in your guest's mind that they'd like to have a, a deeper appreciation for by uh, experiencing what it is you're doing. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts on the role of intellectual property in immersive experiences. Do you think that that is just going to continue to accelerate? Or do you think that, you know, we're going to see even more, uh, I would say, creativity or developing a unique story that people hadn't seen before? Or does that just not spin turnstiles in the same way as an iconic uh, character like Harry Potter? Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. I think that's a, a tough question. But, the, you know, the uh, uh, um, we as a company have, have really invested heavily in kind of creating new experiences there. We've, we've invested, uh, I can't believe it's, uh, but I've, I've added the numbers up. We've actually invested $50 million in developing ride systems in the past five years pre-COVID, right? And um, it's a, an amazing am uh, amount of money. Uh, and you know, eight of those attractions are coming to market this year, right? That we're commissioning now. And, and you're going to see uh, in, in, in those eight different rides, most of which I can't talk about uh, too, too specifically, but still uh, because of confidentiality uh, uh, um, agreements that we have with our clients. But th those uh, rides have been all over the world, right? And they're, they're um, going to be um, uh, in their own way, innovatively taking guests through a uh, a different experience. Uh, all of them are uh, media-based attractions, and um, and uh, some have IP, some don't have IP. Some they all have content. They all have uh, 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 you know uh, uh, a sort of a uh, an experience, uh, a memory that comes out the other end that is is, is highly unique, and uh, and will be bringing people back to those parks. So I don't know. I think. You will probably see more of what we've been doing, what we're bringing to market this year. Uh, once people, our customers, uh, kind of fix their balance sheets and get the turnstiles going and uh, um, uh, and uh, get back into business uh, that they've uh, uh, they, they want to be in, uh, which is entertaining guests. So um, I don't know if that answers the question, but uh, um, we'll see. You know, we're we're committed to. Kind of continue to um, leverage our own IP uh, going forward and do more of what we've uh, figured out uh, as being pretty compelling experiences um, and uh, and uh, taking those to locations where tourist success is, is, is part of our mandate, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Guy, you said the magic word, which is COVID. Um, so now we get to talk a little bit about that. And we'll be would be remiss um, here in June of, of 2021 as we're recording this uh, to not talk about that a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about how COVID has impacted dynamic attractions? Sure, sure. I, um, yeah, you're right. It would be a, a hole in this discussion to not talk about it uh, because everyone has been uh, uh, dealing with it for, for over, over a year and a half. 
Well, COVID-19 is, is, is had a devastating impact on the whole industry, right? It's not just us as a company, but it's had an impact on dynamic attractions as well. I think it's abundantly clear now in hindsight, and organizations and companies uh, were not prepared for the negative impacts uh, of what was caused by the pandemic. Uh, theme park industry and its supply chain have been particularly hurt, right? It's uh, uh, out of home experience uh, that if you're not able to get out of your home, uh, you're obviously negative effect, uh, negative effect on that. Having said that, Dynamic has uh, adapted. We, we've reduced our capacity in the ride manufacturing business. Uh, we we're confident that in time, our customers will come back and uh, we'll start to spend again and offering fresh and appealing experiences to their guests. Um, and we're seeing that a little bit now already in, in increased opportunities to, to, uh, to work on and to bid on. Um, but we got a long way to go too. So uh, the you know compare when you compare it to the five years before COVID, which were very uh, 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 aggressively expansionary, right? I'd say the two biggest challenges that Dynamic Attractions has had to deal with in the pandemic are, are, are uh, the first would be the delay, delayed mobilizations and commissioning programs have really increased our costs. Um, to complete these eight jobs I mentioned uh, this year that are working towards uh, 21 openings. Um, the park's open, the park's closed. You need a visa, you can't get a visa. You know, just, just uh, the um, quarantining, the uh, parts uh, supply, uh, the just on and on and on. So just that whole um, giddy up go impact on our business is, is, is very tough to navigate. And um, I'd say the other uh, big, impact on us as a company and, and everybody, uh, our competitors in the business as well, is the lack of bidding opportunities, right? Our prospective customers are really protecting their cash. They're uh, sitting on their hands, uh, deferring and directly coming back uh, ride procurement, right? That will change in due course, but uh, there's no question that they're more focused on getting open and, 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 and re-engaging uh, that. So this has uh, had the net effect on us of, of having to reduce our employees a lot, unfortunately, right? Uh, we've had government programs that have helped us to maybe not go as deep as we had have had to go, but uh, you know, uh, 300 employees uh, before COVID to 100 employees at the end of this year is a, is a big impact, right? And, and a tough one to, to handle. Um, um, and it's just, never, it's just not a pleasant experience, right? Uh, I, I've been through ups and downs before um, the last recession of 2009 was, uh, was, a uh, another kind of mother of all recessions, but I do think that this is the mother of all pandemics for sure. I hope it is anyway, that there's not many more like this, but, uh, uh we've had to be a uh, fleet of foot to, uh, just to survive the, uh, ch the challenges. So COVID has been real for everybody, for our competitors, I'm sure, uh, are in, in no different position than ourselves. Um, and, uh, and our customers, it, it all flows back on the customers. So um, out of home entertainment uh, is coming back. Uh, we all know that uh, on, the, on the positive side now that uh, well, people have been in their home, they've been saving money. And uh, if they've been able to, to, to retain employment, uh, saving money and, and, and getting crazy, uh, you know, there's only so many t TV shows and uh, binge shows that you, you can watch. And, and so there's a, we're experiencing that in Tennessee, actually, uh, down in the park where we're uh, where we're going to open up a uh, an attraction there in uh, in about uh, just before the, the long weekend, uh, Independence Day weekend down there. Um, that uh, the, the park's hitting all-time records uh, attendance, right? So people are 
desperately trying to get out of their uh, basements and into uh, uh, into uh, a more normal life again. And uh, and so the parks are going to be the beneficiaries of the that return to uh, normalcy. Uh, that uh, we we, we uh, and then eventually again a ride procurement will happen uh, following sub that as well. So that's the good thing, right? People have money and uh, and the desire to uh, get back in the saddle and enjoy life, right? And uh, and that tends to be out of the home. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the project in in Tennessee, you know, coming up on its grand opening. Definitely want to talk about that. But but before we do, just a, a follow up question to that and the impact on attraction design. I'm actually kind of curious for long lasting, maybe just consumer behavior from the pandemic. And if that actually changes the way that rides or maybe ride vehicles actually go through the design process to, you know, are, are people demanding more, more spacing and seating in a, you know, in a ride vehicle, or does it need to be easier to reach for the operator if, if they're, you know, continuing enhanced sanitation measures or anything like that? I'm just curious if, if that has actually impacted, you know, from the, from the actual engineering standpoint. Well, we, we did iterate some, uh, some changes to our theater product line, you know, to have uh, separations uh, of, of guests, uh, redu reduction in capacity. It really does hurt economics when you uh, capacity constrain. Um, and, and that's true for the parks as well, right? You, you, they don't make money at 25% uh, uh, capacity. They might, uh, might break even, uh, um, at those levels, but uh, it, it just, uh, we've looked at that. We've had, you know, our focus has been more on the, uh, the, the cleaning of uh, the, 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 um, the ride systems. Uh, there is UV lighting and, and uh, um, technology that is probably gonna be more prevalent on, uh, on, um, on, on all ride systems, but to coasters notoriously are, are gonna be hard pressed to limit um, either the capacity or, or the effect of uh, airborne um, uh, droplets, right? Uh, it just, you know, it's a, it's a screaming type of experience to start with. So it's, uh, uh, if, if you tell everyone not to scream, it's maybe uh, going to defeat the purpose a little bit. So I think it's, it really is more on the preventative side, on the vaccination side, on, um, on um, uh, the mask side. Uh, for sure uh, will be part of that. So just the overall operational protocols that have got put into place uh, are going to impact more the park um, operations than they will the rides themselves, right? So I think that that um, uh, rides by definition, are, they're, they're quite capital intensive and, uh, and to limit capacity will make it somewhat problematic, right? So mm -hmm. I don't think that solutions in, um, in, in, in stretching out or, 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 or keeping people further apart. Um, part of it is, uh, part of the experience is to, to, to share that experience with others, right? Uh, not just by yourself. So um, we've looked at it, we've, we've studied it, we've, uh, but we haven't implemented any of the particular changes to the design for, because of COVID. But we've definitely looked at doing that. Guy, I'm curious, you said earlier, um, and I agree with you that we weren't really prepared for this pandemic and what it was gonna do to our companies. Um, from a leadership standpoint, since you talked about leadership uh, earlier, what could we do to prepare for the next one? I hope there isn't one, but that kind of disruption to our business, what should we be thinking of or putting in place as leaders to, um, to kind of help make sure our companies are ready for something like that? Um. You know, I, 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 I might take this down the road of a, a sort of a, a, 
a thought process. You know, when you're um, strategically positioning your company or toward going towards a particular new field or a somewhere where you can avoid uh, problems like the ones we've just come through. I like to, there was a book that was quite impactful on my career uh, back in the early 2000s that came out and it was, uh, it, it, um, it talked about a, a metaphor of blue oceans and red oceans. And you probably have even read the book yourself or excerpts from the book, but uh, I've really followed that. I was just thinking about that in hindsight a little bit. Uh, is chasing blue oceans? What the, that's a metaphor for going into markets that don't don't exist. They don't have competitors in there currently. In contrast to a red ocean, which has got lots of competition, lots of guys doing the same thing, lots of you know, and and, and bloody water as a consequence. Like uh, and so, through uh, my career, I've, I've I've really tried to um, succeed in a blue ocean strategy. We've all we've uh, to do that. You have to be analytically able to create opportunity you have to eliminate waste you have to reduce uh, uh, costs and, and and things that are not adding to the overall experience right and and that that has stood me in pretty good stead I'd say over over the time and I don't think this is going to be a whole lot different than that you have to kind of think about where's the market going to be not where is it where is it now to, where is it today where was it yesterday uh, you have to think about where it's going to be, right? And then I go back to, you know, the best place to figure that out is with customers and with people that are close to the marketplace, right? Um, and, you know, to, to, to show how that has worked in, in Dynamic Attractions case, what we've done, we've probably had three major pivots in our, our short little 15-year stint. Um, and, then, you know, when I acquired Dynamic Structures in 2007, the first decision was simply to, to shift more into designing and manufacturing some of the most popular and complex ride systems in the world, along with the astron astronomical telescopes I was talking about, uh, for the biggest theme park operators in the world, right? And so I wanted to shift towards that because that was and is a good place to be, right? Um, then in 2011, I made another pivot, and then, not out of that business, but uh, complementing that business, supplementing that business, to say, I want to focus on designing and supplying ride systems that are created by dynamic attractions, right? So this led our company to wind down its investment in steel fabrication. Uh, we spun off Tornado Hydrovax into its own company, didn't fit that particular strategy. So that pivot really of, of designing and supplying our own was a, was a secondary pivot, which we really have done. And we're bringing a bunch of those to market this year, as it turns out. Um, then in 2018, yet another pivot, right? Which was creating a co-venture business called Dynamic Entertainment to leverage our own ride designs and combine them with show and content and partnership with a local tourist operator. And, and so those three pivots, all were going towards new markets, right? All going towards areas where other people aren't necessarily, uh, other competitors, other people, the companies weren't necessarily pursuing with the same uh, rigor as we uh, we have uh, and so i think but that's really um what i would say you, um any leader of any company needs to do is have a pretty clear vision of what it is you want to go where you want to be right uh what do you want to do when you grow up where, where do you want to be as a uh, where do you want to take your the, the team that you assemble and um and 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 that does necess necessitate uh, adjustments right? Pivoting, changing, uh, looking at the landscape and saying, uh, I can't do this. I got to do this, you know, and, 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 uh, 
and and surviving, right? And uh, we've had uh, for sure uh, in in the pandemic, those skills are, are pretty important to be able to figure out, you know, the new lay of the land, you know. And um, so I don't know. It's uh, um, I used to think I I uh, was uh, going to leave my pivoting behind in the basketball court back in the day in in the, in the day, but uh, I pivoted more in in business than I ever did in, in basketball. When you talk about these pivots and when you talk about this uh, blue ocean strategy, I, I think the first question that comes to mind for me is how do you know that it's right to go into, into that blue ocean? Otherwise saying, I, you know, maybe, maybe the ocean is blue for a very specific reason. You know, maybe you don't want to go into the, the shark infested, uh, you know, bright red or dark red or whatever it is, water's there. Uh, but knowing kind of, you know, making sure that, that the ocean is blue because there's opportunity, not because there is no opportunity. Yeah. I spent most of my career trying to identify market opportunities that, uh, that exist out there that, uh, that, um, that we can navigate towards and trying to uh, reduce my uh, focus on highly competitive industries and, and focus on more innovative industries where there's a value add to the expertise that we can bring to bear on a particular opportunity, uh, a blue ocean, uh, as we, as we, as the metaphor goes. Um, and, and, uh, you know, in, in all sorts of product innovation, uh, examples, historical examples from Apple to the innovation of the first computer to, uh, the, the first cell phone, the first Blackberry, the first, uh, use of the internet, all of those started with somebody identifying a, a need that wasn't being satisfied in any way, shape or form. And it was a, it was a break from tradition. It wasn't, uh, you know, the car wasn't an evolution of the buggy, the, the horse and buggy, right? It was a, it was a break from that into, a, you know, moving people through space faster, quicker, better, safer, uh, and uh, and going back to fundamentals, right? Like that, and then solving that in a different, in more innovative way. So, you know, it, it's it's a challenge to do it that way. To to, uh, but if you decide to surround yourself with a bunch of engineers, uh, God bless you if you do do that. But if you do do that. Uh, you are going to uh, come up with, uh, from time to time, breakthroughs that are uh, innovative and uh, hit the mark, right? And uh, I've been doing, trying to do that my whole career, right? And it's been uh, um, largely uh, um, uh, filled with uh, things to overcome, but eventually you get there. So. So I know we mentioned a minute ago the the new project there in Tennessee. So can you kind of walk us through that a little bit and tell us a little bit more about the Smoky Mountain Flyer? Yeah, well, it, the timing's good on this one um, because uh, the uh, we're opening up in a couple of weeks, so uh, we're a little late. We wanted to be open for Memorial Day. Um, COVID, God, God bless COVID, uh, but you know it's. <laughs> It's it's squeezed probably three months of commissioning into uh, three weeks uh, because you don't want to miss uh, uh, the uh, uh, the Independence Day weekend, right? Uh, you got to be open for the summer, um, but uh, and we're going to get there. Um, it, it'll be a soft opening. We probably have a few bugs to work out. We'll have a, a, a more a hard opening later in the summer, um, but it will be it, it prime time. It'll be ready and uh, it will be exciting. Um, a little bit on our partner, I, I, you know, I think, um, I don't know if people understand what a co-venture is or a partnership model is, but, uh, 
in this particular partnership, our partner owns the theme park of the island in, in Pigeon Forge in, in the Smoky Mountains. Um, it's uh, the Smoky Mountains are one of the most, if not, I think they are the most visited national park in, in the U.S. Um, and what uh, we jointly had as a vision together was to bring a world-class ride system to that, that location uh, to complement and uh, experience of, uh, of visiting the Smoky Mountains, to complement the experience of visiting Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg, kind of a fun place to visit. Um, and, uh, and, and to bring a, a world-class attraction that will delight the families that come to the island. And that was the vision that we had. The premise is pretty simple. I mean, it's, a, it's taking a world-class attraction that, uh, that has been proven to be successful in, in, in the large theme parks and to sort of add that to the mix on, on uh, uh, other locations, uh, more regional locations where tourists are already coming to and to complement that experience. Um, you know, that going vertical, right? Uh, as opposed to just making and selling ride systems that are, are, are quite popular, uh, making and selling and, 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 and retaining a partial ownership and partnership with, uh, with a, a location-based entertainer um, is a capital intensive. It's going vertical. It's leveraging your IP for sure, but it's, uh, it's doing so in a, in a recurring it generates a recurring profit stream if you can do it well. It's not, again, very, there's a lot of pieces there to, to pull together. Uh, they're quite a bit more value added than just the ride system itself. Creating an attraction uh, that resonates with the guests in a particular location is, uh, is, uh, is a leap, right? And uh, we're about to find out if we made the leap successfully. I think uh, all, uh, uh, I don't know what Brian said. I hope Brian thought it's uh, going to uh, succeed. Um, they were a key part of uh, that part that they added uh, of adding music to motion to, to, to the experience, uh, to the location. Um, but we're pretty excited about it. And I, you know, I do have a, a, a pipeline of uh, some incredible other opportunities in behind that one that, uh, that we want to take to market, right? It's, um, we, uh, you know, uh, um, people will always go to theme parks uh, and, and rightfully so. They're a spectacular experience if they're done well, and uh, the people we work for tend to do them well. Uh, so that will always be a huge part of the market. But uh, but another part part of the market is uh, taking a pretty uh, pretty fun experiences to the market, right where the market is, uh, and uh, and that tends to be a little more regional, right, and particularly in a post COVID world. So I think we're we're pretty excited about that. Uh, and uh, and uh, Smoky Mountain is uh, the first of many. I, I guess it was one of those pivots again when I decided to just, when I was looking at all my customers uh, that were uh, using our flying theater and, and either developing it into a great attraction or not, maybe as, as good an attraction as it could have been, um, it, it struck me that, uh, that we needed to, uh, uh, there was an opportunity for us to do that in a way that uh, uh, properly embellished the, uh, the unique uh, features of our particular flying theater and turning that into an attraction that uh, is world-class. So we'll see, um, uh, we're about to see. I, I, may, uh, I may find out that, uh, that uh, we're not quite as successful as I think we're gonna be, but uh, my guess is that it's going to be a resounding success and, uh, and pave the way for some, some fun things going down the road. It is capital intensive though. So we are out in the market uh, looking for that financial partner. I'll put a plug here. Uh, we're not done that to the process yet. Um, and uh, and I think when people see what uh, what can be done in a place like uh, uh, like the island in, in Pigeon Forge, um, I, I think that we'll uh, get through that uh, 
process pretty successfully as well. But, uh, you know, it is a, it's a much more capital intensive business, not as capital intensive as it can be if you're not in the business. If you're like us, where you know a lot of the ins and outs and the tricks of the trade and, and actually manufacture, uh, it's, uh, we can manage the uh, capital cost to a level that is affordable and does work economically. Um, if you don't have uh, sort of the background that we have and that we've assembled and uh, it, uh, it can be a challenging business because you, you uh, can't spend, uh, uh, there, there's a limit to how much you can invest up front and uh, expect to get a return over time. So in any event, that's, uh, that is a really exciting uh, new effort for us. Uh, we do think it's also a proactive way to go after the market. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, sitting on my hands waiting for others to engage us. Um, in, in making a ride system for others. If they want to take their time and do that, we'll, we'll uh, bide that time, but uh, we're not going to sit on our hands and wait. Uh, we're going to proactively go out to uh, where we see a tremendous opportunity today, not uh, five years from today. Well, Guy, this has been uh, just such an interesting interview and conversation with you. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. And before we wrap up here, uh, just curious here, if you weren't in this industry, what do you think you would be doing? Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, you retired uh, in limiting my uh, business activities to participate in just a few uh, public com or companies that, uh, that I like the industry, that I like the management, I like the strategic position of the companies and just sort of impart uh, what, what little wisdom I may be able to, to impart uh, at, the, at the board level. Um, you know, I've also thought that I'd probably be writing a book. I, you know, my journey has been a crazy one. Uh, um, uh, and, uh, all, you know, so I might write a book, you know, it's been, um, I've been, if I, if I've been called a serial entrepreneur once, it's been 500 times. I, uh, my entrepreneurial quests are wide and far and, uh, some far more successful than others. Um, and, uh, but there has been a lot to be learned in uh, my journey. And so I might write a book. I don't know. Uh, that's probably a fun thing to do um, as I slow down, but uh, I'm not slowing down right now. The, the co-venture opportunity is too big and too compelling and too exciting. And, and, and I'm passionately believe that it's the, the proper leverage of, of what it is we've built today. What it is we've learned to date is, uh, is, is best leveraged through uh, uh, partnering in the ownership of, uh, of what we create. So, um, so I don't think uh, I'm going to extract myself uh, too quickly from this business, but uh, I'm going to stick with that one uh, for sure, because uh, I think we're going to get there on that. And Tennessee's about to tell me. So I hope you guys uh, can come and visit it and others come and visit uh, the island. In Pigeon Forge, it's, it's, uh, we've got great partners there. Uh, it was one of those uh, one plus one equals a heck of a lot more than two. Um, and uh, they brought different things to the table than what we brought to the table. And it was a, um, a good partnership. And, and we're still talking too. So uh, it's, it's pretty hairy right now, I'd have to say, uh, uh, on site because, uh, you know, there's a punch lift of 50 things that have to be fixed before, um, uh, tightened up before, uh, before we open. But we'll get there. We do have the right team there to do that. And, uh, um, but I think you'll see more of that and, uh, before you see the end of me. So... <laughs> Well, awesome. So, 
Well, well, guy, we can't wait for your book to come out. We'll see it in the IAPA bookstore. <laughs> I'll, I'll be first in line to get an autographed copy. So I uh, would love to hear more about your life story and your and your lessons. But uh, uh, in the meantime, again, like Josh said, this has just been a fascinating conversation. If people wanted to find out more about you or Dynamic Attractions, where would you send them? I'd send them to our website. You know, we, we've got all sorts of connectivity there. Uh, the parent company, which I run, Dynamic Technologies, uh, you can kind of root your way into Dynamic Attractions, Dynamic uh, uh, structures, dynamic entertainment, our three divisions. Um, so dynamictechgroup.com is where I'd send people. Um, I think my uh, emails are in there, our press release is in there. Uh, uh, being a public company, we got all sorts of information about us there. We got all sorts of videos in there. Uh, um, um, you know, So that's the place you learn more about dynamic attractions for sure. Awesome. Well, Guy, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Uh, uh, like we said, it was just a, uh, so amazing to be able to have the opportunity to chat with you and have this conversation. So thank you so much for that. And to everyone out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.